0: Merry Christmas, my name is Emily Hamilton, I am the pastor of missions here at CPC, and I have a very serious, important question to ask all of you this Christmas Eve. How many of you know the song, I want a hippopotamus for Christmas? (laughs) How many, how many? Okay, a little less than earlier, a little less. Well, I'm gonna clue you in, I'm gonna bring you in, those of you who've never heard it, we have a, a really short clip lined up for you, it's gonna be a treat. I want a hip bottom must for Christmas. Only a hippopotamus for do that's enough. Um so <laughs> for those of you uh who don't know, I wanna tell you about why I think that song is crazy. Uh, You see, a couple years ago, my husband and I were spending a few days in a national park in Uganda in Africa so that we could go on a safari and drive around and see different animals like giraffes and lions and elephants. And when we checked into our campsite, the receptionist gave us this packet of information about park safety. And I'm thinking it's going to say stuff like, you know, only drink bottled water or don't keep food in your tent so that you don't get ants. But instead, we got a warning brochure about hippos with this picture on it. (laughs) Yeah, so it turns out hippos are... Highly aggressive, unpredictable, they kill more people than any other land mammal in Africa. They can outrun you, they charge you whenever they feel threatened or surprised, and in this brochure, I learned that hippos often liked to visit our campsite at night, and what I could do if I ran into one on the way to the bathroom or the dining area. I should add that park ranger did make it to safety, so he's fine. (laughs) Um, Now, I enjoy getting out into nature as much as anyone, but I do not want a hippopotamus for Christmas because hippos are not safe. They are stronger than me. They are faster than me. And like many other creatures on planet Earth, hippos and humans do not mix. They do not live naturally at peace together. The author, Annie Dillard, she wrote a book about her experience of spending a year exploring nature near her home in Virginia. And at first, she thinks this is going to be like relaxing and peaceful. But in the end, she is struck by how cruel and violent nature actually is. She writes this, that, that something is everywhere and always amiss is part of the very stuff of creation, It seems that it is part of the way things are for something always and everywhere to be amiss, to be wrong. Eat or be eaten, destroy or be destroyed. That is the way that the natural world works. And for the prophet Isaiah, who was writing about 700 years before the birth of Jesus, this isn't just the way that animals or nature behave, it reflects the way that people can behave toward one another. For Isaiah, he saw that especially in the way that the rich and the powerful of his nation were treating the weak and the poor, and the orphans, and the widows. They were failing to put their best interests as a priority. Instead, they had been selfish, putting their own needs ahead of others. Something always and everywhere was amiss. Of course, this is true in our world, too. We are selfish and put our own needs ahead of the weak and the vulnerable among us. We hurt one another. We hold grudges and fail to reconcile. We disappoint those we love, and we know what it feels like to be disappointed. And we see it all over the place, from the impeachment hearings that happened this week to pictures of children crying for their parents at the border to our own Christmas dinner tables and the topics that we avoid and the seats that remain empty there. Something always and everywhere is wrong in our world, in our relationships, and it is well beyond our natural capacities to set things right. But what if it doesn't have to be this way? What if another future is possible? And this is exactly what the prophet Isaiah has in mind. He has a vision of a different future, one that is the complete opposite of this type of conflict and brokenness that we experience. Instead, it is a vision of peace, a peace that will change us so much and penetrate so deep into our relationships that we will lose all ability to hurt one another anymore. We will be changed So I'm going to read Isaiah's vision to you. And I want you to follow along on the screen. And kids especially, there is going to be a picture up there of the passage that Isaiah is imagining. And I want you to see how many of the animals that I read out loud, how many of them can you find in this picture? The future will be like this, Isaiah says. The wolf will live with the lamb and the leopard will lie down with the young goat The calf and the young lion will feed together, and a little child will lead them. The cow and the bear will graze. Their young will lie together, and a lion will eat straw like an ox. A nursing child will play over the snake's hole. Toddlers will reach right over the serpent's den. They won't harm or destroy anywhere on my holy mountain, The earth will surely be filled with the knowledge of the Lord just as the waters cover the sea. What a beautiful vision of peace and one that is so much more than just the absence of conflict. In the Bible, the word for peace is shalom, which means wholeness and restoration and well-being, like a broken piece of pottery being put back together again. That is what shalom is. That is what peace is. And that is what is happening in this vision. All the broken things, all the broken relationships are being put back together again. In this new world, the weak are safe and unafraid. The strong do not use their strength to hurt. This piece is so topsy-turvy that it'll be like a lion who learns to eat grass, a carnivore becoming a vegetarian. This piece affects so much more than outward behavior. It creates a change in our very desires, in our very natures. If this kind of peace is possible, then where will it come from? In Isaiah's time, many people hoped that a new king could bring it, that finally a ruler would come who could use his power to subdue the destroyers and help the weak. We have our our own versions of this today, too. We may think that the right politicians in office and the right global alliances will finally bring the restoration that we long for. Or maybe the right portfolio of investments and enough zeros at the end of your salary can ensure you the wholeness and well-being that you are searching for. Or maybe the success of your children, the validation of your parents, the affection of a spouse, maybe that will finally be the thing that you think can bring you peace. The trouble is, Isaiah's time never found peace like that in a king. And the trouble for us is that we also cannot find or manufacture true peace, not in our leaders, not in our money, not in our lifestyles, not in our relationships. All of our science and technology, abundant as it is, cannot create this kind of wholeness. All the treaties and sanctions and governments of the world cannot create this kind of restoration. All the new toys and electronic devices and wellness apps that you have downloaded on them cannot create the kind of well-being that you are looking for. For humans, creating this kind of peace, it's more impossible than trying to outrun an angry hippo. Instead, if we want this peace, our very hardwiring as human beings must be changed. And that is not a change that we are strong enough to make happen on our own. But there is one who will come, Isaiah says, and making wrong things right, creating change where change seems impossible. That is his entire purpose. He will be the source of true peace. Isaiah imagines him as a very different kind of king, and he says this, the Lord's spirit will rest upon him. He will delight in fearing the Lord. He will judge the needy with righteousness and decide with equity for those who suffer in the land. Righteousness will be the belt around his hips and faithfulness the belt around his waist. And the key word there is righteousness. And righteousness isn't just some stuffy Bible word character quality that means like a really good person. Righteousness is also an ability, the ability to make right that which has gone wrong. Righteousness is the ability of God to make right that which has gone wrong. And what we see in Isaiah's vision is that this right-making is far bigger than a little cosmic tidying up. This ruler's righteousness will create change for us all, especially the needy and the suffering of the world. And what we realize all of a sudden is that the peace that Isaiah describes comes through the right-making righteousness of a new kind of king. He will right-make us so that peace is truly possible. And what I want you to know today on Christmas Eve is that the entire Christmas story is about how this vision of Isaiah starts to become a reality. It is about how God writes himself into the story of our search for peace that we cannot make happen on our own, and he does it by sending his son, Jesus, to us. But Jesus, this son, who is God comes in the most unexpected way imaginable. Like Isaiah says, he does indeed come as a divine ruler wrapped in bands of righteousness, but they are not royal sashes. They are bands of swaddling cloth. Jesus does come to judge the needy, but he does it by becoming the neediest of all, an infant. He is the little child, who comes to lead us? But his influence and his leadership seems quite small at first. The only people who even notice that he's born are some peasant shepherds and foreign wise men. Jesus comes for those who suffer by becoming one who suffers. He is born under the occupation of a foreign empire. He has to become a refugee and flee his home country. And ultimately, he will die unjustly as a criminal on a Roman torture device, a cross. And yet, this is the one over whom the angels rejoice and cry out to the shepherds, peace on earth. And there we see it, That God's way of right-making the world into peace means that God chooses to enter the very depths of human sin and suffering and sorrow. He enters into every single thing that is broken about our human nature so that he may heal it and make it right from the inside out. Jesus is the Prince of Peace precisely because he comes to us in our fractured and fraught world so that he can be our shalom, our wholeness, our restoration. And we see it from the very beginning. The angels tell the shepherd, shepherds that they will find their Lord, not on a throne, but lying in a feeding trough for animals. Not in proper lodging, but in a gloomy, smelly, dirty place where animals stay. We call it a stable because it was used for housing these domestic animals, but imagine it more like a cave, like what you saw in that video earlier. And it is there that peace comes to dwell before we had even noticed it. Our world And our lives, the lives of each one of us here this afternoon, they are full of stables like this. And these are not the neat and tidy parts of our lives. These are the messy parts, the parts that we don't want others to see, the places where we struggle with the habits that we cannot break and desires that we cannot fill and hurts that we cannot heal. And what would it look like for you to imagine that that is the very place that Jesus desires to come to you and dwell with you. Not to leave you as you are, but to make you right and to give you his peace. To change your very nature and to fill you with the knowledge of the Lord like the waters cover the sea. Over and over again throughout his life, Jesus in all righteousness will enter into the stables of the world and do just that. He will dine with sinners and prostitutes. He will share meals with political sellouts and religious fanatics. He will touch and heal the sick while they are contagious. He will love his friends even when they betray him. And he, this one, our God made flesh, will go all the way down to death on a cross And we'll stay dead for three days and then we'll rise to new life and do that so that he may do for us what we cannot do for ourselves, break the chains of sin and death in our lives, change our very natures and bring us to that vision of peace so that we too may join with the angels and sing glory to God in the highest and peace on earth for all people, will you pray with me? O oh Lord, you are rich beyond all splendor, and yet because you love us, for us, you became poor. Your throne became a manger, and instead of royal courts, you slept with the animals. You, who are God of all, you for us, took on human flesh. You stooped down to the lowest place, but in doing so have raised us up to be with you in your peace. You are Emmanuel, God with us. God with us in the worst of our sin and suffering so that you can make us what you would have us be. We worship and adore you, Christ our King. Amen.